0: You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State.
1: Welcome, everyone. The Hospitality Prophet today with Rick Brahe. He's gonna talk about finishing strong in 2021. Thank you right now to uh, US Bank for sponsoring today's episode. I'm going to drop their link into the chat so everybody can take a look at their payment processing program that we offer with them. Um, Today, we are here with Lex Nepomuceno and Rick Bra. Uh, If you have questions, please feel free to drop them into the Q&A and we can answer them for you. And with that, I uh, will go ahead and
0: hand it off to Lex and Rick. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, Rick and I were talking a little bit earlier about um, uh, analogies and comparisons. And uh, uh, Rick, uh, you, you, said that we were, you said that basically um, Q4 for the hospitality business is basically like Black Friday for regular retailers. Wanna go into that example?
2: Sure, so in Western Washington in particular, unlike a lot of the United States, we have a silhouette of Mount Rainier with the exception of Paradise being on the opposite side. So we start at the beginning of the year, very, very low. And then it works up all the way through summer. And then there's a huge drop uh, after Labor Day, about two weeks after Labor Day, really, that continues to drop down and then it works its way up. And then it peaks through the holidays and then it drops through the floor again. So very much like the silhouette of Mount Rainier. So, uh, this is the time that you do want to finish strong. It's not the time to kind of whimper out. So this is the time to pour uh, fuel on the get, on the uh, fire.
0: All right, so let's go ahead and get started with your uh, presentation here. You've got some great uh, um, examples and uh, best practices that uh, restaurant and hospitality operators uh, should really apply in this very important quarter.
2: Great, all right. So there's a lot of anxiety right now around what's going on with the employee retention credit. And I was uh, fortunate after you know, hours on the phone, finally getting a hold of somebody at the IRS to figure out what's really going on with the money. So a lot of people filed for 2020 ERC back in May or uh, March, April, May uh, for 2020. So when I spoke to her, who was very pleasant, she basically said, look, I haven't seen a return hit my desk that is less than 200 days old. So they're 200 days behind. So I would say, don't expect to see that money anytime soon for 2020. So the issue there is, uh, you've got three years to file from the due date Uh, if you haven't done 2020 yet go ahead and and do that but they're kind of treating it like they have a big window here i wouldn't be surprised to see this drag on into 2021 based on how much volume they have so basically they explained that look when the pandemic hit we had safety protocols that we had to go to including remote work we also lost some people and then they got this massive volume of refund across greater than than two million, so uh, that is a ton of uh, ERC and 941 amendments uh, for the IRS to complete, and they've been completing forms between phone calls. So when you call the IRS, if you call the IRS, you're slowing them down from processing these 941s. So uh, it, it was ironic they have a they have another team. But we questioned, you know, don't you just have dedicated staff? And she said, not just dedicated staff, it's all of us, all hands on deck, but we're completing the forms between calls with nice people like you, which we of course promptly hung up the phone after that so that they could get back to work. So the uh, ERC for Q1, Q4, make sure that you're maximizing your PPP. A lot of people just turned in their PPP for forgiveness and gave them all your payroll. So you wanna make sure uh, that you are maximizing your PPP and in 2021, you're gonna wanna really be on um, diligent. So we go through, we analyze every single paycheck and how much should be used for PPP and how much should be used for ERC. So PPP, obviously you want to have completely forgiven, but you back that down to 60% and then you maximize that ERC. So ERC, everybody in Washington, because they were partially shut down, qualifies for Q1 and Q2, provided that you have a dining space that was shut down. If you're just strictly a drive-through, um, that's a different matter, but if you have dining space that you are restricted uh, from using in Q1 and Q2, then you're going to qualify automatically. Q3 is based on whether really you were down more than 20% in Q2 over the same quarter in 2019. So if you were, you'll qualify for Q3. And if you're down for Q3 more than 20% over Q3 of 2019, you will also qualify for Q4. So it stops in the quarter in which your sales reach 80% of the 2019 same quarter. So uh, that's important to note. So many people are gonna qualify for Q3 and Q4 provided that they don't pull that back. It is on the chopping block in in this legislation of these massive bills. One of the funding mechanisms for the bill is to remove ERC for Q4. But the longer it takes, the better it is for us because if they get into December, uh, then it's going to be, I think, pretty tough for them to pull back the ERC credit for Q4. So they'll have to find another source. Don't count on the money until summer. Uh, they have said that 2020 takes precedent over 2021. So if you're filing 2021, uh, just be aware that they are still working on 2020, and they will be for some time. So don't count on seeing that money uh, until at least summer, maybe even later. And based on that whole three years to file from the due date, uh, they could really stretch it out. They do have tax season coming up again. They just finished the latest uh, tax season, but it will come up again about the third week in January to slow things down. For those of you that were lucky enough uh, to receive the restaurant revitalization fund, congratulations. Uh, There is still some interest in funding, but it's really being overshadowed by the infrastructure bills and the climate change agendas. So the last congressional action was on 8-7, and that was the $48 billion bill. There's been three bills that have been introduced. The first one was for $60 billion, and it had 220 sponsors. This one is the the latest. It's $48 billion, and there's 20 co-sponsors on this one. So it's been read and it's on to committee. It's been read twice actually. So if you received RRF, be sure to use as much of the funds this year as possible and report the amount used by 1231. That's very important because there is a uh, clause that basically you swore to that said, I need the money. So if you get to the end of the year and you haven't used any of the money, they may frown upon that, trigger an audit and pull it back. So I think the odds are, are slender But you're going to want to make sure that you claim some of those funds for for, uh, uh, February 15th uh, through the end of this year. And in particular, when you file, some people have already filed and reported uh, how much of the funds they've used. But you're going to want to get that done. uh, And you're going to also want to uh, make sure you've used a good chunk of that money by 1231. So you swore that you needed it. So they're going to expect that you use it. And so, just real quickly, just to run through, you can use it for payroll, sick leave, health care, you can read that whole outline there, you can use it for uh, mortgage obligations, so principal and interest, um, no prepayment of principal and interest on a mortgage obligation, that's different than the COVID-19 EIDL that we to take a look at. Um, Rent, obviously, Uh, debt service, uh, very similar to number two the utilities basically anything you can use this for uh, accounting want to make sure you use lots of it on accounting uh, but you, you uh, can go back and get get those from february 15th up until the point that you started using ppp and then you can skip over your ppp covered period if there are expenses that you don't want to include uh, for ppp round one or you used for round one forgiveness otherwise claim those as long as you did not use them for ERC. So no double dipping in any of these programs that will make uh, the IRS very upset and the SBA very upset. uh, And they could be fines on that. So getting to the COVID-19 EIDL working capital loan, they have actually added that on there. So this, I get a lot of questions around this particular loan and whether you should take it or not my personal belief is you should uh, take it there is a personal guarantee for any amount over two hundred thousand, so that's something to consider but they began uh, approving these on 10 uh, 8 so you were able to go up to 2 million um, provided that you can you uh, qualify for 2 million i mean you can apply now And you've got to be submitted by 1231, or by the expiration of the funds. So they run out of money. They're not going to put more money in. So sooner than later, it's very easy to apply. Very similar to the the second round after they fix the website for the first EIDL loan. Very simple, straightforward. A lot of attesting. testing, easy to run through that application. Probably take you 20 minutes after you get all the information put together. 30 year, fixed 3.75. 24-month deferral, if you qualified for $2 million, it would be plus or minus $10,000, about $10,300 or so, uh, because you do approve the interest in that 24-month payment deferral period. So $10,000 a month, 3.75% money. Um, You can use it for your operating expenses, so basically everything. And a lot of people have personal debt and and investors, and, and maybe they've got triggers, uh, to flip an 8020 where they've got an investor and the investor gets 80% of the distributions till he or she is paid back or they are paid back. And then it flips the 8020 to the operator. Um, this is the way to kind of clean that up as well. Um, so you can get rid of that, that uh, <clears throat> business debt. So you can include prepayment of past. I don't know how you prepay past, but past, present, and future. You cannot use the money to pay government debt. You can use the money to pay payments on your government debt. And so one of the ways to do this is you use this for your operating money and then you use your operating money. that's basically flowing through the business. That's what you use to pay off anything that's a little bit squishy. So paying down that government debt, if you wanted to get rid of it, um, if you've got a little bit of PPP left over or something along that line, Use your operating capital to pay them off, use your operating capital to pay off your investors uh, because you'll have lots of it, because you're using these, these proceeds to fund your business essentially, if you did not receive RRF. And many believe that the reason that they bumped this up to 2 million was because RRF is going to take a while to get through if it does get through at all. There's still plenty of interest, as I mentioned, but no guarantee. So they put the olive branch out, they bumped it up to $2 million, $10 million for, for a larger company, uh, less than 500 um, employees. So they put the olive branch out there. So eligibility, you have to meet the size requirements. So the great big guys, publicly traded, they're not going to make it. If you weren't in operation before 130 $120, you are not going to qualify. So. If you were an operation, it's, the calculation is very simple. It's your 2019 gross receipts for your tax return minus the lesser of the 2019 COGS times two or 500,000, whichever is less of those two minus any EIDL you've already received. And you can, so some people went in and maybe they got a $200,000 loan, they bumped it up to 500,000, now this new thing came along after 10 You can then increase your your 500,000 up to 2 million if you qualify. So that's something to keep in mind. You can keep going back to the well. Now, if you've got something in process, you've got to uh, go in and amend that right now. Do not uh, open up a new loan. So if you've got one in process that maybe you asked for 500,000, you haven't heard back yet, you can go in and amend that up to whatever amount you want. Uh, just remember, there's going to be personal guarantees attached with this. One thing in red at the top there, so it's taking several weeks to get loans for less than 500,000 and you need to have a 570 credit score. Anything between and 2 million, it's taken about a month and a half for approval. Not sure what several weeks compared to 1.5 months is, but that's how it's listed in their literature. And you need to have a 625 credit score. So the filing needs, 2019, 2020 tax returns form 4506T, that's just allow them to share uh, tax information between agencies, so nothing big there. Um, make sure that you have your details of your PPP and your RRF. that's on the, they're gonna want you to explain how much you received when you got it. Uh, the NICS code, you wanna make sure you have that handy, most people do, but uh, it's easy to forget and it can hang you up and then time you out, so on and so forth. If you get a loan greater than 500,000, you're gonna need a schedule of liabilities, a schedule of any real estate that you loan and personal financial statements are required on owners with greater than 20% ownership. That has been a big hang up for a lot of people where they've got a minority owner, uh, but they don't, they don't want personal financial statements of those particular people exposed. So that's been a little bit of a hangup. If you do take a loan for more than 25000 you need to have collateral, as I mentioned, personal guarantee for more than 200000 And then if the applicant's part of a corporate group, it's limited to $10 million overall, as I mentioned. So you may not use the funds to expand your business. You can't go open another unit with it. You can't prepay any federal or SBA loans. You can make current payments and you can't go start a new business. So on the expansion, the question that I get around that is I, I wanna open another unit, how do I do that? And the, and the answer is do you use your BIDL loan or whatever uh, government funding program you've been a part of to pay your operating expenses. Then you can distribute out selectively in time intervals um, to yourself, as long as it's part of your ordinary course of business to make distributions and then you at that point you can then build a war chest for you to business. Okay, so we'll move on to the basics. We can also come back at the end. Um, I'm very passionate about really using this government money to get your balance sheet right. So um, if you've got a lot of dangling stuff on your balance sheet, this is the time for you to use this government money and clean it all up. It's a really long, really long amortization, very cheap money. And you should be able to get a good return on that, on that investment. That's the key. If you can't get a good return on the investment, don't take the money. It doesn't make any sense. But if you can get a good return on using 30-year 3.75% money, you should take it provided that you qualify. So I'm a big fan of that. If you go over $200,000, you are going to have a personal guarantee anyways. It's a collateralized over 25000 so take the money. Uh, and clean up your balance sheet uh, and get healthy and get in control of that business again. Um, So this is a a once in a lifetime chance. We can't count on anything else coming down the line. So turning to back to the basics. So first thing I believe you need to do is go back to your menu. There's been a ton of inflation in the supply chain. People have had to use use, uh, grocery stores a lot to make sure that they can procure items that are on the menu. If you are out of something, make sure that you tell the guests that you've sold out, not that you've run out or that you have supply chain issues or any of that kind of thing, just make them think that you're such a good seller, you sold out of things. The first step I would do when I'm engineering my menu is i take a look at my menu and I would go straight and try to reduce the size of it 10%. A lot of people have really lean menus already. And if you're so small on your menu size, uh, you can take a pass on that, but a lot of people begin to creep up their menus again. So you're gonna wanna take a shot at reducing this. Second thing is really focus on the top 80% of products. So one of the problems with doing any kind of analysis is if you use too much data, it just shuts you down. and You don't get an opportunity to make the good decisions that will help you uh, to um, maximize your margin. So focus on the top five sellers if you just if that's all you did if you didn't have time to do the rest if you just focus on your top five sellers they your number one seller has the uh most resistance to price increases so people will buy it anyways so uh, don't be afraid to take price increases on your top item and i would say for your top five items so watch your protein sizes you know that those are expensive the futures markets are not pointing to any Um, good news, uh, that I've seen so far. So you're going to want to watch those protein sizes and adjust them. So a lot of people use an eight ounce burger. Um, how does a six ounce burger eat? Can you get a smaller bun? Can you make it eat better? Whatever it is. So watch those protein sizes and adjust them. doesn't mean you have to take them away. You have to guess plenty of less expensive ingredients. Make sure you fill those plates up. Whether it's uh, if you reduce your protein, increase something less expensive on that plate so that you can keep a good full plate. The engineering new beverage menus, where I think a lot of the better operators in the industry have really focused their energy is how do I engineer a great beverage menu? Because that is often the incremental sale in restaurants. You go to restaurants to eat the incremental sales beverage we go to taverns to drink the incremental sales food so you want to make sure that uh, as a restaurant you're engineering new beverage menu so add infusions you can take less expensive alcohol and infuse it with something let it age a little bit and it tastes great and uh, you've got a better cost on that add barrel aged products add more non-alcoholic drinks so there is some risk you know alcohol awareness this month is in April we've also got what someone called dryuary which is January and then there's the newest millennial movement which is sober curious so uh, we're not sure where that's going to go uh, many of the experts believe it's another fad but there is a movement around sober curious so it does it feel like to be sober all the time so really focus on those non-alcoholic drinks, coffee, soda, all of those kind of things as well as develop menus uh, that taste really good, uh, that, that are a little more complicated than pouring a soda. Uh, if the um, alcohol awareness months in January is sober curious, get a good foothold and start reducing the consumption of alcohol in restaurants, you'll have a solution ready to go. Uh, plus, sometimes you just people don't feel like drinking, so it's a great alternative there. The next piece is to make sure that you're raising your prices every quarter. I'm speaking as a consultant, not on behalf of the association. So raise your prices every quarter. Get a price increase immediately, right now. If you haven't done it in the last couple of months, do it right now. The forgotten one is beverage. A lot of people have raised their food prices because they see food going up, but they've forgotten that beverage needs to be raised as well. The labor to make those drinks is on so make sure that you are um, really uh, um, raising your prices on your beverage as well. So take smaller, more frequent price increases rather than big ones. If you've missed a year or two, you may have to take a big one, but it's better for you to take three, uh, four, 3% increases than to take one, 12% increase right now. So you'll want to take quarterly increases and really watch volatile items. If something spikes in price, you may have to remove it for your menu. If you can't remove it from your menu, put it in a place on your menu that's less conspicuous. So typically in any list of items, the top one and the bottom two or the top two and the bottom one sell the best. The items in the middle don't sell as well. So you can take something that was a great seller and you can move that into the middle of a list uh, it will probably sell less, but yet your regulars still get to get it, they know where it is, 11% of all guests that walk into a restaurant or the exact same thing every time. So that's going to allow them to get what they want, but you're going to sell less to people that are less frequent diners, because typically 40% of your diners are first time or um, not regular uh, diners. So make sure you raise those prices every quarter, and if you haven't done it in the last three months, do it now. Before the holidays hit, because you are coming into paradise, you're going to want to make sure you leverage these holiday prices uh, before you hit to January and February in particular. Uh, so then you'll raise them again. So if you raise them now, make sure you raise them in a quarter, um, say, either the beginning of the year or by March. Really focus on gross profit versus cost of goods sold. Everybody gets wrapped up on percentage, and, and I've said it before, but don't take an item you make $20 a margin on. And put a $20 pasta on it, cost you two bucks because you're gonna make less money. Your food cost will look better, your product cost will look better, but you're going to lose money, dollars. We take money to the bank. We don't take percentage to the bank. So focus when you're engineering on the profit per item rather than the percentage. So you don't have to keep if an item was 25%, uh, pre you know inflation and now you're running 30, you don't have to get down to 25% again. You just have to more than cover your costs and take take the approach of I'm going to make more money with this um, item rather than I need to hit my percentage. So be very, very careful. Managers are really used to managing percentage, which is fine, but adjust their goal percentage after you engineer. So drive your beverage cost down as I mentioned with infusions, barrel age, specials, the non-alcoholic program, And then go back to using your checkbook for purchasing based on forecasted sales. Control your inventory, keep it lean. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know what the vaccine requirement is going to do. We don't know what the state's going to do around vaccine requirement. So you're gonna wanna keep your inventory down to five days or less for food. Get less than three days, you're gonna be running in store all the time. But five days seems to be about optimum, four or five days. And then on the beverage side, and provided that you don't have a gigantic wine list or a huge liquor list, you're gonna to wanna to stay lean on that as well, no more than 30 days. Uh, that has a way of really disappearing quickly uh, if you slow down. Um, I've always said that you know, beverage has legs. They, it somehow just finds a way to walk out. So we don't have to go through this list right now, but this will be in the presentation. What do I look at on a daily basis? What do I look at on a weekly basis? And what do I want to look at monthly or by the period? So um, if you look, for example, guest check average, I want to make sure that I look at that every week. I don't have to look at it every day, but I want to look at it every week and every month. I want to look at product trends at least once a month. What's going on in the markets? Uh, What's my ideal look like? What's my gap between um, the ideal and actual? throttle your tablets and to-go orders without losing sales so control the flow a lot of people have been just turning their tablets off when the rush comes in and you need to you know a lot of these tablets they have throttling tools they have pause tools make sure you're using those so you want to um, make sure that you're prioritizing the guest ticket times you don't want to allow cutting them. the tablets. There's nobody on the other side, they just cut, but you're gonna to want to throttle them to the average wait time, uh, just like you're controlling counts. So if you've got if you if you're getting huge uh, ticket times in the kitchen, you're gonna to want to throttle those uh, tablets back so that they're not cutting in line. Don't don't shut them off. Those are sales that you have an opportunity to, to get and you need every sale that's coming through the door. And really focus on building your check average. So Check average is going to be the key because you want more sales per hour that you're open. So build that check average back up. Forecasting sales. I know it's difficult when you're not sure what's going to happen with, with the business every day, but it's we've got enough operating history now that we can forecast sales relatively accurately. And then we need to cost our schedules every day back to that forecast. So schedule them to the costed schedule. Don't just write a costed schedule, actually schedule people to them and then hold, hold those hours accountable to that. You don't need to cut people, you need to cut minutes. So don't go out and slash your staff uh, to hit your cost. Just make sure that you're, you're getting, you're trimming and you're tight. So when people come in, start them fast and keep them fast. If you've got people that come in and they're standing around You're not bringing them in at the right time you want to bring them in right as the rush is hitting and they will be fast all night you want short fast energetic profitable shifts you want to optimize those hours of operation so it is an opportunity unlike we've ever had in the history of the restaurant business to optimize our hours of operation if a shift doesn't work get rid of it people are used to checking their phone to make sure that you're open so now's the time to optimize all of your hours of operation. Don't open at 11 and close at 11. If, if it's business is saying we need to open at 12, open at 12. Business is saying no lunch, then no lunch. But make sure that you are optimizing your hours of operations. Once in a lifetime opportunity to do that. And you need to get through this next 18 months as we kind of suffer through inflation and unknowns, so on and so forth. So uh, labor shortages, we need to make sure that we're optimizing all of the shifts around the business and use a checkbook for labor too. You're spending money on labor. How much money do you have to spend on that particular day? A lot of people don't do that. How much money did I have to spend for labor based on these sales? Did I spend that amount? The second point is to focus on sales per labor hour in the front and the back, not just labor percentage. We've seen wages fly, So line cook, Last year, year before, maybe 16, 18 bucks an hour, now 21 to $27 an hour, depending on the concept. So it's gone up quite a bit. Front of the house, obviously we've had inflation in uh, state and uh, city, uh, city of Seattle in particular, uh, has seen a lot of inflation in front of the house wages. So we wanna make sure that we're driving efficiency rather than percentage. That's the whole start fast, stay fast thing. So drive efficiency rather than percentage focus on sales per labor hour in the front set a goal of around $150 per front of the house labor hour. Now it's going to be tight, but you can do it. And in the back $140 per food, uh, sales per hour. So set those goals and see how you get there. Uh, I imagine that a lot of people are in the 70 to hundred range. Uh, So you're going to need to really find some efficiencies to to get those numbers up. But I think it's really worth going after. Use your tools and manage every shift and every dollar. So around monitoring your labor cost, clock in, clock out every day, scheduled hours versus actual hours, daily, weekly, monthly, sales per per labor hours, about the fifth one down there. You're going to want to make sure that you're measuring that for servers, for bartenders, for the front of the house in total, for the uh, uh, back of the house, for line cooks, for prep cooks. Uh, you know, somebody said the other day that that was kind of a blinding flash of the obvious the more hours that the prep cooks have, the more prep you're going to have on hand. And you want to keep that really tight right now. Table turns, focus on those payroll reports every week and every month. And crew turnover. It's very expensive right now, and we've had a lot of ghosting going on and Rage Quitting. So back to providing positive feedback, we need to remember to use the 10-penny trick. You know, Put 10 pennies in your pocket, and at the beginning of the shift, you've got 10 pennies in your left pocket, and your idea is to get 10 pennies into your right pocket by providing at least one positive piece of feedback for every one penny going from one pocket to the other. It's an easy trick, but we want to deliver it. Nine pieces of positive feedback for every one piece of negative feedback. Not forty-nine pieces of negative feedback and one positive of general feedback. So we want to make sure that we're providing lots of positive feedback because there's a lot of opportunities for crew members right now, and they're literally rage quitting. You have a tough conversation with somebody, and they quit. If they don't have a foundation of positivity going into those tough conversations, they're going to quit. So, make sure you are building relationships with your crew, all of them. They can, they're not just workers. Build those relationships, make sure they're tight. Make sure you tell them what they're doing right, more often than wrong, and use those ten pennies. So, finishing strong is about the last twenty percent. When we start a project, and they've noticed this with engineers a lot, they get about eighty percent of the way through and they kind of start petering out at that point. So, You'll lose enthusiasm the longer something takes. We're about 80% of the way through the year. So the last 20%, you need to engage and overcome fatigue. People are tired. I understand that. It took a ton of energy to get back open, but it's time to overcome that fatigue, set the example, and really ride out this year as a winner. So end with a bang, not a whimper.
0: questions? Uh, I have a question, uh, Rick. Uh, Earlier you talked about um, adjusting the menu and um, many of those things relate to increasing menu prices. How about those operators that are concerned about losing customers if they raise um, menu prices too much or if they take away items on the menu that's a crowd favorite? Uh, How do you, um, how does an operator navigate through that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I wrote an article a few months back that basically walked through the math that if you raise your prices 10% and you lose 10% of your guests, you got to win on on your hand. And that doesn't happen because you basically, all of your price increases are incremental. So if I take from something from a dollar to a dollar 10, I make that extra dime. Didn't cost me anything. And that's why we want to link this back to efficiency as well. Uh, obviously you don't want to lose a dollar worth of sales um, to make 10 cents more. So you will get, if you have sixty to eighty percent of your guests that are, that are regulars um, most of them are going to stick with you anyways. And those that you lost were, were going to be made up with new guests as well as more than overcome with the price increase. So do not be afraid to raise your prices. I said at the beginning of this whole entire pandemic, that there is going to be a separation like there was when i was a kid it was a treat to go to a restaurant then commodity prices got so inexpensive and held steady for so long that, that grocery and restaurants really kind of leveled out now there's going to be a gap again because the labor force is way more expensive than it was before and you've got a few people running around a grocery store you've got a ton of people running around a restaurant size is way different sales per hour way different so don't be afraid to raise your prices because there is going to be a gap and people are expecting that plus they've been eating you know they ate for a year at a 30 to 40 percent premium by having stuff delivered to their house so reclaim some of that
0: Actually, that brings me to another point that operators will have questions about uh, how to effectively manage their third party delivery business uh, that will probably increase also during this last quarter. But as you have mentioned numerous times, that's also a big chunk of profits that you're giving away to a third party, how would you advise um, uh, restaurants to deal with that.
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, if you've got a platform, you know, one of the major POS systems uh, has a platform that you can drive your own uh, third party delivery through your POS. Um, I think a lot more of those platforms are going to come out, but you're going to want to push people to your website and not straight to Uber Eats or uh, uh, DoorDash or one of the major platforms is going to charge you 30%. Uh, you're going to want to drive them through your website to order online as much as possible because some of those could be as low as 10% as opposed to 30%. Uh, the second thing is don't be afraid in the third party platform, people will tell you that you have to have price parity. You do not have to have price parity. So you know, a big line item on the P&L now is paper products or to-go supplies. That was very minor, unless you were a pizza place prior to the pandemic. Now it's a major thing. I've seen clients that 10% of their cost of, an, of their sales is going to paper products. So we have to have compostable. We have to have special bags. We have to have all of this stuff now. So don't be afraid to charge a premium for those items and do control that flow, throttle, you have to manage it like you manage a book of business. And most people just take what they get. But you have to manage it like your book at the front desk. That's how you navigate around the third-party uh, tablets delivery.
1: All right. We've got a question. Uh, could you clarify when we might expect ERC checks for Q3 of 2021?
2: <laughs> for Q3 of 2021? Yeah. We're working on 2020 first. So... You will likely not see that money if uh, it was a 941X, an amended return. You will not see that money. I'll, I'll, I'd be willing to say you're not going to see it until this summer. They're going to work through all the 2021st. It's, it's right on their website. Um, and it's what the IRS told me as well. They have to get through 2020 before they can get to 2021. They're committed to that. The, the real pain here is that um, you could end up owing taxes on this and you don't have the money. So that's what we were trying to convey to the IRS uh, yesterday was that we gotta, you guys got to figure out how to get through this faster because you got people that need this money because they also have increased taxes.
1: All right, well, that's it for our questions. Uh, thank you so much, Rick, for another great webinar. Um, for the audience, we will have this up on our YouTube channel and our website, along with Rick's slides. And once again, thanks to US Bank for sponsoring today's pot- our webinar. Um, any last words, Rick?
2: Well, I think just that last slide that we talked about ending with a bang and not a whimper. You set the example for your team. The energy that you carry in, the excitement that you carry in sets the example. So do your managers. You set it for your managers. Your managers set it for the people. So you've got to make sure that you've got a ton of energy. The energy has to be emitted from us as leaders as we go throughout the end of the year. 2022 is going to feel like a little bit of a fresh start for a lot of people, but we have to finish strong in twenty one.
1: All right. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time.
2: Thanks everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.